You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is the book critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His most recent novel is To Catch the Lightning. His most recent collection of essays is A Trance After Breakfast and Other Passages. Coming in March is a Song of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure, Ray. Alan, uh, we've got a couple of very interesting books to talk about today. Let's reach back into history, uh, back in a time when... Uh, Middle American Magazine still published fiction, and people still read it for While Mortals Sleep, the unpublished short fiction of Kurt Vonnegut. A a fantastic collection, really, when we look at it. Yeah, I should say more unpublished fiction. I mean, they keep going to this well. Uh, I mean, I I, I guess there's a Vonnegut scholar out there who could put a number on exactly how many stories uh, were uncollected from his magazine publishing days, but... This is what, second or third volume of them? I think this is the second. The last one was Watch the Birdie, if I'm not right, mistaken. Right, right. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one. What strikes me about these is that um, you can, obviously you can see in, in these early stories, you can see the formation of, of Vonnegut's themes already coming forth, the kind of the alienation in the story about the dictaphone. And, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's just to... to Think about that time, as I said, when this kind of fiction was really publishable and read by by more Americans. And you can see, too, that he's tilting towards that audience. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is uh, the last golden days of, uh, of American uh, publishing, magazine publishing. I mean, and, and, and you can see a divergence from the what we'd call the art story and the popular story. I mean, these are all what you have to call popular stories. Uh, Dave Eggers in his introduction calls them mousetrap stories because they kind of close on you as you as you get towards the end, um, and and uh, this notion of enter- story, short story as entertainment is something that I think people have forgotten. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody, and you know when I teach is uh, you know presenting the short story as art, uh, but God help us, these these are wonderfully entertaining stories, and they're they're nicely made. Uh, I guess in the tradition, I guess it goes back to the pulp magazines and you know, maybe to the O'Henry uh, model. And, and I think a little bit, too, of James Thurber, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with so. that kind of sense of that, the playful sense of humor and yeah. the, the playful attention to the Amer- details of America's middle class. I don't think you, we see uh, the middle class um, as deeply and more uh, widely addressed as we do in these Yeah, stories. I think that's true. Um, I want to go back to the origins, origins of this in a moment, but if you look at a, a story like, it's called With His Hand on the Throttle, about a husband who pays more attention to his model railroad building in the basement than to his <laughs> wife. Um, it's, you know, in a, in a Stephen King story, he would find himself trapped in the model world, right? But mm-hmm. with the train coming down the tracks. But uh, it becomes a metaphor, and, and you know, Vonnegut says, uh, in his imagination, he could make his model railroad as real and important as affairs in the full-scale world. So it's a story about a middle-class obsession, uh, as opposed to uh, horror or, or actual fantasy. But the but 
you mentioned whimsy, and, and there is that tradition that goes back to the English, to uh, Saki, Lord Dunsany mm-hmm. uh, in England, and John Collier in the 30s, uh, who, who made these delightful stories. Uh, you weren't expected to dig too deep into them, and they gave you back uh, you know, some real pleasure. Kind of like a, you know, a cup of coffee and a slice of pie at Horner and Harder to, <laughs> right at lunchtime. <laughs> Well, well, too. All, I, all for ten cents. Uh huh. And I think, but I think also it's it's a bit easy to to underestimate, you know, the power of, mm-hmm. of these stories in terms of being, you know, a real true preservation of, of what America was like in that time. This is a different time. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. can reach back there, and these are these little stories are really great pictures of that. Time. Yes, you know, I, I mean, they're not great stories, and, mm-hmm. and and but I think Vonnegut is a great writer. But I, so I want to preface my remarks by saying all that, but, you know, there is a theory that if you want to know what life is really like at any specific time, in modern times, you go to the second-rank work. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, those are all where all the details are. But, you know, that being said, uh, you know, this is, this is not exactly work of the left hand, but, you know, it's stuff that he was writing for money. Um, it's not terribly carefully thought out, but it's uh, delightful, and you know, he's a, an extraordinary writer, and so he can do this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, without too much effort and make a living while he's plugging away at planning the, the novels, the, the major novels. I just um, had a bunch of my students read uh, Slaughterhouse-Five again, and I mean, it's absolutely mas- masterly novel, and, and, and no doubt about it. Oh, no, n- not none whatsoever. And I think, too, we definitely would like to say something about the, the Dave Eggers introduction, which I think is really effective and helps set the scene for reading the stories. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's important in, in a short story collection like this. You know, Eggers, uh, he kind of mourns the loss of, of a writer like Vonnegut. And, um, you know, he talks about how he's uh, kind of averse to stories with a, a tidy ending or a or a moral point, and but he harks back to uh, to Twain as one of the predecessors for mm-hmm. for this uh, variety of short fiction, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think too that if you've never read Vonnegut before, these are maybe not a bad place to start because they, they aren't his best work, but they they give you a flavor for what's to come, and mm-hmm. I think they give you um, it's like looking at a house from the basement up. <laughs> uh huh. You you can see where where a lot of the great stuff was coming from. You know, for me, the 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 seminal novel is Cat's Cradle. It's just, mm-hmm. but but um, I I think that uh, this is a fine collection and it's well worth anybody's reading valuable reading time. Absolutely. From the house up, uh, I mean, from the basement up, you see the the pipes that are sound and the, you know the plumbing sound and the heating system's good. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about heat. Uh, there isn't too much of it in this uh, new David Band novel, Caribou Island. It's a very cold novel set in Alaska uh, on an island in the middle of a frozen lake while two uh, people, expatriates from the, the main part of the United States, go at each other towards the end of their marriage. It's really uh, horrendously powerful. It's, it's incredibly well written. The sentences are there's so many powerful sentences that in like seven or eight words will just nail a set of human emotions or just 
nail a relationship to the wall. It's got a plot arc that goes from bad to worse. Yeah. <laughs> and given how dour and you know, unhappy it is. It's remarkably readable. And I think there is some really redeeming and very uh, funny humor in it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what, you know, what, what exactly is so funny? <laughs> 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 the, way, the way they uh, are building this log cabin on this island in a blizzard. Well, I, I think there's some, there are some funny parts to do with some of the uh, infidelities of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he builds, he has a, a, fortunately for the reader, he doesn't just focus on these two people who are trying to like slowly chew one another up. Um, but you get a, a variety of other characters in there who are, who are slightly less uh, um, self-destructive. I honestly found those kind of distracting. I just wanted to stay with the... Uh the frozen part, the frozen <laughs> character. Well, I think what's it, it, it's also an interesting look. This is another, it's a very American book, and it's a, a piece of the American landscape, and it's interesting the way that he plays with the landscape and plays the landscape off against mm-hmm, the people. Right. And he's a master of describing both, and at the same time sometimes as well. Yeah, and especially, I mean, this, this, this happens just at that moment when they are aware that it, winter is inescapable. <laughs> and they just, it's, a, it's a hard slide down into the realities of this very uh, difficult and, and, and uh, blizzardy marriage. Uh, but the, the writing, nonetheless, mm-hmm. is superb and gripping. And for a book that doesn't have, you know, uh, a whole lot of plot, it, it really, it's a gripping read. I mean, you, you don't, you can't look away as, as unhappy as what you're looking at happens to be. Yes. No, in that way, it's a kind of tour de force. Yeah. Uh, a, a kind of little naturalist experiment. Put two people long married who don't love each other anymore in a cabin in the middle of a blizzard in the middle of a frozen lake. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it also, I think, but it, it has a, a lot of very um, truly profound and interesting things to say about how men and women relate, how mm-hmm. what marriage is like, what yeah. relationships are like, what they're like when they're good, what mm-hmm. they're like when they're bad. Yeah. And there are so many great sentences that you'll read in this book. And yeah. I think on a prose level, the guy is amazing. Yes, he's very good. Very, very good. And this is a, a gripping book that will uh, keep you completely frozen cold <laughs> this, the rest of this winter. Well, this sounds like a really, really uh, warm recommendation, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I enjoyed reading it. It, it. Yes, I did too. And I think that, that he has a, he's a, a fine novelist. He's written short stories and longer stories before. But not, but he works fine at the novel length, and and does something I think really interesting with the novel length, with Michael Chabon and a lot of people talking about the the joys of plotted fiction. Mm-hmm. This is a kitchen window epiphany novel, if ever there was one. Yes, and uh, it uh, shows all the great virtues of that form. Yes, and Caribou uh, Island, David Van. Caribou Island, David Van. Uh, Alan, uh, let's talk about books to look forward to. Yes, uh, you know, it's extraordinary, uh, all this talk about the end of the bookstore, if not the end of the book. That's, um, that's these sure. are all questionable questions to me. But, uh, for example, there was a piece in the New York Times uh, about 
four or five days ago about the introduction of Kindles to the lives of some 11, 10 and 11 year olds. And there's this one little girl who's quoted as saying, I haven't watched TV in a week. I don't think I've heard anything more joyful (laughs) than that in a long time. These kids are reading fiction on their Kindles. but in any case, there's a lot, with all this doomsday talk abounding, there's a lot of wonderful books coming out, I mean, they, and they keep coming. I absolutely agree. I, I, I think the end of the book and the end of reading is much overhyped, and because, be, just simply because, you know, every time you think that, that some a variety of absolutely compelling and can't wait to read them books come out that are, will absolutely consume your time, let's start with one of the most important ones coming out. It's a book called Song of Slaves in the Desert by a gentleman named Alan Shoes. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, that's my, my new novel comes out in March. Well, tell us just, a, give, us, give us an idea of what it is and what brought you to write it. Well, it's uh, a novel about a mid-19th century South Carolina Jewish plantation-owning family and their African chattel. Um, and um, with I, I mean, there are a lot of other books we're going to talk about today, so I'll be brief about mine today. But uh, what caused me to write it? I some years ago I was reading a rant by a um, a tenured black uh, nationalist at Columbia University who was, as it, uh, ironically, a very old uh, uh, classmate of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in a Jewish fraternity together <laughs> at a small college in. Pennsylvania, and he he became, evolved over the years into a, a ranting uh, black nationalist. And in the course of this particular rant, which uh, nearly got him fired from Columbia, uh, was he, he stated, "Well, the Jews ran all the tra- slave, most of the slave trade in the South." And it never occurred to me that Jews would own slaves at all. And I started doing some, you know, historical research and. Sure enough, there were Jewish plantation owners, not in vast numbers, although slightly uh, larger in relation to the percentage of uh, the population down there. Uh, and I, so I, 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 you know, read for a couple of years, and and uh, this family came into my mind, and I wrote this novel, uh, which, as it turns out, begins in Timbuktu in the 16th century, and follows this African family, uh, who's one of whose descendants uh, becomes uh, a, a slave on this particular plantation and encounters the young, um, somewhat innocent son of the family's New York uh, relatives who's come down to see whether his father should invest in the plantation. Well, it uh, sounds delightful, and uh, well, and, I, I and, and it and uh, deeply researched and entertaining, and it's unusual too. So, I, well, I'm glad that it's all of that. We look forward is. to it. Now, uh, what novels and books are you looking forward to coming? Well, out? Well, I'm about to start reading this um, what they call these days debut novels, the first novel by a woman named Taya Obrate, who's I think 25. That's old. a good book, The it's Tiger's Wife. Tiger's Wife. I haven't read it yet. It's um, very good. It's, it has a kind of a Kafka-esque feel to it, or Borgesian almost. And then uh, there's a, a collection of new and selected stories by E.L. Doctorow called All the Time in the World. Um, that comes in uh, April. 
I'm looking forward to that. In May, Geraldine Brooks, who won the Pulitzer a couple of years ago, has a novel called Caleb's Crossing, which is about uh, the first uh, American Indian, a Wampanoag Indian, as it turns out, who goes to Harvard, mm. uh, a, a, a young man from Martha's Vineyard who goes off to Harvard. Um, and there's, there are also you know, some uh, more harrowing uh, novels coming out, a, a book by a, a German writer named Dieter Schlesak called The Druggist of Auschwitz, which is a concentration camp novel. Um, Halan Habila is a wonderful Nigerian novelist who lives in the States now and, in fact, teaches at George Mason, where I teach. It has a novel called Oil on Water about the battle between uh, Nigerians and the oil companies that want to take their land away. Uh, Barty Mukherjee has a, a novel called Miss New India coming out, mm. um, which sounds intriguing. And um, then there, there's some good books, uh, what should be good science fiction coming out. Uh, ben Bova has a new novel called The Leviathans of Jupiter. Frederick Pohl has a novel called right. All the Lives He Led. Uh, there's a big kind of space opera novel called Leviathan Wakes by uh, uh, James S.A. Corey, who's a pseudonym for a couple of researchers for some well-known uh, science fiction writers. Um, we should so, have China Mieville's Embassy Town that's right. coming out. And uh, there's also a new novel by Kevin Brockmeyer called The Illumination. I just reviewed that for uh, All Things Considered, and I thought it was really quite wonderful. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really a spectacular novel. I enjoyed it a lot. And um, let's see. I think we should have uh, something. We have something new by a guy named Patrick Rothfuss. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I don't know. What, um, he's a fantasy writer. came out with a book a couple years ago called The Name of the Wind. Not the shadow of the wind, the name of the wind, and um, he has a, a sequel to this. And this, he's really quite good. And in, in the in the traditional fantasy vein, he does something new and well, and tells a story from you know the ground up that that is really compelling. I think that uh, people who like the George R. R. Martin series and mm -hmm. are, keep keep waiting for the next one to come out and yeah. hoping they won't they won't grow old before he does. Uh, this is a this is a good place to go, and. I think that, you know, there's a lot, there's quite a bit of uh, decent science fiction and fantasy. On yeah, there's one. Let me mention one, uh, which I haven't read yet. It's called Ashes of the Earth by a man named Elliot Patterson, who has uh, specialized in writing um, investigative crime fiction based in the colonial period. And this one is a dystopian novel. It's an investigative crime novel set uh, in some apocalyptic America. Well, that sounds quite wonderful, and uh, there's a, there's always always some good crime fiction coming out. Presumably, there should be a new. Is there a new Elmore Leonard coming out? Uh, I haven't seen one, but I mean, I've just uh, I'm about to review two uh, police procedurals. Uh, one called "The Devotion of Suspect X," set in Tokyo, uh, in which a math genius is pitted against um, one of his classmates, who's a science genius. Uh, in the death of a woman's estranged husband, and uh, a little bit lower on the, on the scale, but quite entertaining, uh, John Lescraw's novel called Damage, about a, a psychopathic son of a billionaire San Francisco newspaper editor family who uh, gets out of 
prison on a technicality and tries to knock off all the witnesses so there would be no retrial. <laughs> now, uh, and there's the the big event at the end of the towards the end of the year, new the new translation of the new Haruki Murakami novel. Yes, right. Q eighty four. Q eighty four. Which sounds, from what I can uh, suss from the various descriptions I've read, it sounds something like an alternate history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I mean, he has, he did write about it in the New York Times uh, some months ago. It, it, I mean, it sounds fabulous, sounds really intriguing. It comes out in September, I think, and that's really going to be the, for, for novel hounds like ourselves, that will be the big book in September, I think. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. He's a critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His new book coming out in March is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.